So God, I want to thank you uh, for all that you have done. Um, just for the fact that you're good, for the fact that you have allowed us to have life and breath, and for the fact that you brought us here. Uh, we want to praise you for um, just your goodness in our lives and in, uh, in our world. And we just pray that you would continue to move in great ways. We love you in Christ and we pray and ask everything. Amen. So uh, we just got back uh, a few days ago. My wife and I and our, our kiddos, we went on a trip. And like two days into our trip, I looked at my wife and I said, honey, do you think our trip is like eight days too long? <laughs> and uh, it was interesting. You know, we had a great time. Um, we went to sleep early every day because we were exhausted, A, but B, if the lights are out and you're in the same room as your kids, there's nothing else you could do besides go to sleep. You know, and so we went to sleep super early every day. We walked probably on average like 10 miles every day. And uh, you think we were doing something cool and awesome like hiking, but it was like city walking. Okay. We, uh, we went to Providence, Rhode Island. If you've never been to Rhode Island, it's beautiful. It is so cool. Um, we took a bus from there and a train, and we ended up in New York City. Uh, because I love going, like our family, for some reason, we really love going to New York City. This thing is like cutting in and out. Um, we ended up in Boston, which we've wanted to do for, I don't know, like 10 years. We've wanted to go to Boston. And uh, we finally made it up there. And then we ended up back in Providence, Rhode Island. And we liked it so much that they eventually canceled our flight on the way home and they postponed us a whole extra day. We didn't, I mean, it was great, but we wanted to be home as fast as possible and they were like, your flight is canceled. And so after like being on hold for like four to five hours within a two day span talking to airlines, they finally got us home, you know. Um, we were able to do a lot of fun things, which was great and beautiful. Went to the Bronx Zoo, which is kind of, you know, beautiful. We biked all the way around Central Park, and that was an experience. Uh, I was like asking Jesus to take me home, like somewhere around like the middle of it all. I was like, Lord, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And I look at the boys, and the boys are like, yeah, Dad, we're going to do it. Let's go faster. And I'm like, I can barely breathe, you know. And... Uh, and then getting towards the end, like we, uh, you know, there were like a couple of inclines that we just had to get off of our bike and walk it up a hill. And then when we got to the top of the hill, we just kind of threw ourselves off the other side of it, you know, and pushed our bikes and just prayed that we wouldn't crash, you know. Um, we did that. We were able to go to the beach, which was beautiful. And... We were able to do a lot of cool things, but we were able to celebrate some great things. We were able to have my wife's birthday. We left on my wife's birthday. Yeah, if you forgot, it's okay. Uh, we had my birthday up there, and all of you forgot because I didn't get any birthday wishes. And we, <laughs> and we had a, yeah, 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 we had, a, we had our 13th wedding anniversary while we were over there. So if any of you guys wanna buy our dinner, we're cool with it. 
No, I'm just joking. Don't worry about it. We'll just take gift cards. So um, we, we had a great time, you know, and in, in the craziness of it all, I was able to like pray and read and hodgepodge together what it was that I felt like God really wanted us to share. So I don't have any movies and that's great because the screens don't work. So I would have nothing to share from you. I tried to fork in so many movies. Like I wanted to do Nacho Libre and I wanted to do La La Land. And then at the end, I was gonna do a kid's movie and do Cars. And it's only because I like watched it like five times on our trip, you know, like me and Caleb, we would sit next to each other and we're like, let's watch Cars. So you don't kick the seat in front of you and cry the whole time. Um, you know, so like I watched that movie so many times this past week. So all of these movies just kept on popping into place. And then I thought, you know, I don't necessarily want to kind of go that route. And it's okay, uh, you know, like I'm not necessarily bound by that. It is like the summer at the movies uh, series, but like we said, we could say I had all kinds of great movie illustrations, but the computer's down and so we're good to go. Um, here is where we're gonna be for the next little while. We're not gonna move from this passage. It parallels in different points um, in the book of Matthew and in the book of Luke, but we're just gonna be kind of taking the book of Mark and their account of it and moving forward. Sound good? So uh, we're gonna be in Mark chapter two. So if you got your Bible, pull it out, Mark chapter two. If you don't have your Bible, it's okay. Okay. You all right? You good? I know. I'm a school teacher. I'm used to putting people to sleep, buddy. You know, every day. So, uh, we are going to um, be in, like I said, uh, Mark chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 1. Okay? And... When he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men. And when they could not get near him, because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say? To the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. So he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them, all uh, went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. So, that's where we're going to be. Uh, Jesus is starting out his public ministry. 
Hasn't been very long now. Um, and he is starting to develop some type of following. Okay. Uh, in fact, you could say uh, that his following actually had run him out of town. Not in a negative way, um, but just in the fact that a few verses before this, Jesus healed Peter's mother, and then more people came, and then more people came to see what Jesus could do. And so he decided to take his ministry on the road. He's like, I got to get out of Capernaum. Not in a negative sense, not because it was bad, but because it was literally probably suffocating. Okay. Now, I understand not to the extent of probably what Jesus had, because these people weren't coming to see me. But I've been in a spot where there are so many people before that it's literally suffocating. Okay? You want to know what that spot is? Walmart, Seminole, Texas on Black Friday. Okay? Now, you would think, like, hey, that's not a suffocating time, you know? Like, you were there to torture yourself to get, like, $3 movies? It's your fault, Kevin. And I will admit, it is. Okay? But one time, it was probably, I don't know, five, six years ago, um, we were in Seminole, Texas, which is where my dad is from, and we were Black Friday shopping, and it's the only store really in town, you know? So you have a small community uh, that has a population of roughly about 8,000 people, and in the outskirts of this community, they have like another five to 7,000 uh, Mennonites, okay? And they all live kind of out in the country. And all of them are like surrounding this Walmart on Black Friday. So we're there and you can't even really push a cart. And you have all of this stuff you want to buy and you don't really have hands big enough to carry it all. And so there's a beautiful wife. And we're pushing this cart and she's like, Kevin, I gotta go. I gotta go. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? Are you this excited about Black Friday shopping? Go, get your movie, okay? And she's like, no, I gotta go. I can't breathe. It's too much for me. And so she had to leave. She had to get out of the store because it was just suffocating. Okay? It was suffocating. Being in that store, you were not able to move. Okay? It was like being in Los Angeles traffic at rush hour. You were not able to move. And so she did what she could do to stay sane, stay alive, and continue. She removed herself from the situation. Okay? Now, the same thing is happening to Jesus at this time. Okay? People are coming from all over, out of the woodworks, out of the country. Now, Capernaum isn't that big. It's about 1,500 people. And we'll talk about that later on as, as we go on. But once you hear that people are starting to cast out demons and blind people are starting to be healed and lepers are starting to be healed and like there's a miracle worker in town, people are going to show up out of nowhere to start seeing if they can receive some of these blessings. Okay? So... He took a tour around the Galilee before returning back to Capernaum. And so that is our setting. A packed house in Capernaum uh, filled with, according to Luke, Pharisees, scribes, and other normal folk. Um, the word about Jesus was starting to spread. The religious leaders from different areas were sending in the troops to kind of see what it was all about. Okay, if you look in the book of Luke, it says that they sent in Pharisees from all across the land. 
Why? Because they wanted to see what this guy was all about. Okay? There's a new guy. People are starting to follow him. He's teaching these things. Who is he and what is he all about? Okay? So, with all those people, there was no room inside of the house, not even at the door, and Jesus was preaching the word. Okay? It already kind of sounds like a setup. Okay? You have the Pharisees from everywhere. You have the scribes from everywhere. You got a couple of normal people, and you're like, oh, these guys are out to get him. They're going to get him. Okay? So it's a, you know, a spot for the religious leaders to kind of pull what Kyle would call an I gotcha. Okay. Then something interesting happens. The authors in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all stop uh, with Jesus teaching. So he's teaching the word. And we go from his teaching the word, which we don't have any kind of clue what the message actually is. And they take their eyes off of Jesus and point to five guys. There are no burgers and fries. There are just five guys. Okay. There's one paralytic and his four friends. Okay. Now, the news of Jesus being back in town made these guys journey to see if Jesus could, in fact, heal their friend. But seeing all the people and the fact that they could not get into the house nor even get around the door, um, they decided to go home. Come back another day. Jesus might be here tomorrow. Not quite. Okay. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. So these guys could not get in the door. They couldn't even get close to the door. Okay? Mmm. That is a very good question. For the audience at home, a little boy in the front row just asked, how could they get on the roof? Just joking. I thought that would be cool to say. Uh, so, how did they get on the roof? That's a great question. It's actually how the houses were set up. Okay? Now, you have a home, a beautiful home. I've been to your home, and I like your home. Now, where is your staircase located? Uh, it's in the house. Okay? So, if they wanted to get to... You know, if I were wanting to drop into your living room, like I would actually have to get in the house first and then find a way to drop into the living room. Okay. Now, in the day of Jesus, that wasn't actually the way they kind of set up most houses. Okay. In the day of Jesus, they set up most houses where they had a kind of large single room area. And then on top of their house, outside of their house, they had a stairway. And then they would take that stairway and on the top, they would have some type of outdoor courtyard up there on the house. Okay. So the stairs were actually outside the house. Okay. What must people have been thinking? Okay. Weird. Yeah. Okay. We'll get there. We'll get there. Like. What do the onlookers think when they see these guys carrying a paralytic upstairs? So you have four dudes, and if you, like, <laughs> let me, so, about a couple months ago, one of my friends was moving. He lived in an apartment, and he was moving 
a, uh, from an upstairs apartment to an upstairs apartment, which I thought was a bad idea, but you know, I'm here to help, you know? So we had to move the washer and the dryer from upstairs down the stairs. And let me just remind you that these stairs are like, you know, not like a just straight shot stairwell, you know, it's like this, you know, kind of twisty turny kind of thing. And so we are carrying this washer, three dudes carrying a washer, and we're like dragging it along the floor because it is heavy and there's no real way for us to grab it, okay? And the strongest of us, which is definitely not me, was like, I'll show you guys. And he's like, just put it on my back <laughs> and I'll just march down the steps. And we put it on his back, you know, because we just thought it would be hilarious, you know? So we put it on the back, on his back. And he's like, no, 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 please stop. Please stop. I can't handle it, okay? So you have, like, this setting of there's a whole bunch of people in and around the house. The word is being taught, okay? People can't get near Jesus, because the space is already taken. And you have like these onlookers that are just kind of there trying to hear what is going on. And you see people carrying a paralytic guy up some steps. I'm like, well, I'm interested to hear what Jesus is saying, but what are those dudes doing? <laughs> and like, what is going on with them? You know, what must they have started to think when some dude was like, hey, go get a shovel. <laughs> Like, we, we got to do something. Go get a shovel. Go get a pickaxe. Like, it's not like we're moving a couple of palm leaves. Like, we're, like, breaking and entering into somebody's house through the roof. Okay? So, like, what must people have been thinking? What must the people inside started to think when, like, clay is dropping on their head? And there's, like... What is going on? Like, is the end coming? You know, like, we're here. What is going on? What must people have thought when they were starting to see light come in? Or if it was in the night, what must they have started to think when they looked up and they could see stars? You know? Like, what must people have thought? What, like, when they made a hole large enough within the roof to actually lower somebody down on a bed? You know, and then what must they have thought when somebody actually started coming through the hole? Like my mind just goes everywhere with this story. I'm like, if I'm one of these guys, I know how quickly and easily I get distracted. If Jesus is talking and mud starts falling on my face, I'm like, dude, what is going on here? And then if I start seeing a hole open up in the roof, I'm like, this is really bad. And then if I start seeing somebody like, ah, lower down. On a bed? I'm like, this is really, really interesting. You know? And then these guys were just like excellent craftsmen because what happens, like, they lay this guy down right at Jesus' feet. They open up a hole in the middle of a roof and it happens to be right where Jesus is. Okay? Not to mention, this is like traditionally known as being Peter's house. Okay? What must Peter have thought? Lord, please, 
take this outside. There are people who are breaking through the roof. Like, Lord, please. Like, you know, we get to a long time before they are like, you are the Christ, you know? Like, this is early on within the ministry. Peter had just gotten called. You know, he's starting to see some guy breaking through his house. And they're like, cool with it. Jesus continues to teach. Like, undeterred. Jesus continues to teach the word. Okay? And, okay, we're continuing on, continuing forward. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Seeing their faith, their faith. Now, different scholars disagree as to who there is. Some say it's four people. The faith of the friends. Some say it's five people. Okay? Saying, hey, this paralytic had to have some type of say in the matter. You know? He had to hear the news. Jesus had already healed a par- uh, like a paralytic before. So he had to have the news. Hey, like, hey, this could be me. Like, if he healed somebody like me, it can be me too. Okay? Now, the interesting thing about this passage is that this is the first time when Jesus forgives somebody's sins. And it, coincidentally, is probably the first time where people were like, we have to kill this guy. Like, not to, not to say anything in an in a interesting way, but... It, it gets angry here shortly, okay? So, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And so because, you know, if you look at Mark, uh, he had already healed Peter's mother-in-law. There was a demon-possessed man. There was a leper. In Matthew, there were more possessed people. There was another paralytic. That all happened before this time. Uh, yet, in all of those healings, it was just enough to heal their physical being. That was it. And so that leads scholars to think, why? Why did he do this? And that's, that's a very interesting question. Nobody knows what this guy's background was. You know, was he paralyzed from birth? Did he get injured in a work accident? Did he do something wrong and somehow ended up injured? Okay? Like, there's, there's no telling. But if you think about it, biblically speaking, the people who were lame were often outcasts. They were the ostracized. They were the ones who were put out. And so the fact that this guy wasn't would make you think, hey, like, I don't know if this was like a from birth kind of thing. Okay? Because normally those ostracized people, they didn't really have friends. They were kind of like shunned. So Jesus looked at the man and his friend, saw their faith, and said, your sins are forgiven. Now, the angry part. Now, some of the scribes, and Luke says, and Pharisees, 
uh, were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or say, rise and take up your bed and walk. Can you feel the tension that's going on? Like it's not just normal people within the house. Okay? Like if it's Peter, Peter's friends, like the townsfolk, the people, like there's probably not much tension. But because it's one of those like I gotcha kind of moments, like there's scribes, there's Pharisees, and there are people who are probably really kind of upset. Like when I read, I read kind of monotone. Okay? Like if I read that, I read, all right, you know? Um, who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they were questioning. You know, like I, that's how I read. Okay? Something changed while I was on my trip though. Okay? We went to Boston, to a, like historical Boston, and to a place called Faneuil Hall. Okay? Now, if you've never been to Boston, it's kind of difficult to get around it. But Faneuil Hall is where basically the start of the American Revolution or independence started to happen. Okay? People started speaking up there against tyranny from the British. And so it ended up being like, kind of like the shouting grounds for not only you know, the American Revolution, but later on like women's rights, later on African-American rights. Like, it was like a shouting board for um, like people to list their discrepancies against opposition, basically. Okay. So when I was there, my wife conned me into being one of the people within the actual play. Okay. So we went and we were watching a show there, and um, we're all there just to get AC because it is boiling hot in Boston. <laughs> And we're, you know, we're just like drenched in sweat. So we're like, hey, there's gonna be a show, 30 minutes of free AC, <gasps> booyah. <laughs> and so we show up and there are people dressed up in like the, the garb of the day and they start passing out these postcards, you know? And they're like, if anybody would like to play a participant in the play, please raise your hand. <laughs> And so Karina, she was always like the best student. So she's like, booyah, <laughs> like right here. <laughs> and so she gets it, she gets her card and she reads it. And she's like, I'm not doing this here. You do it. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't raise my hand. <laughs> and so the whole time the, this thing is going on, they teach you how to speak. They teach you what to say. They teach you how to cheer if something great is going on. They teach you how to boo, basically, like American Revolution boo. Uh, they teach you how to do these things. And then, you know, people start to get up and give their peace, you know? So, like, John Adams gives up and gives his peace. And you have, like, all of these different people who are Bostonians at the time. And they're starting to give their say about what is going on. And every person speaks, like, seven-year-old little boys speak like nine-year-old little girls and Kanye is like see they could do it <laughs> don't be a punk you know like she starts to say all these things and so eventually it's getting to the end and I'm like 
I think I can make it. And she's like, do it. Do it now. <laughs> and so I get up and, uh, and I read this card and they're like, we want you to read it with feelings and with emotions of the day. And so I got up and started screaming in Faneuil It was not pretty. You know, I got showed up by like an 11 year old girl who like had the entire like Faneuil Hall clapping. And I just gave my best impersonation of a dude who would stand up there and turn red in the face. You know, so it was, uh, it was interesting. Okay. But like, I imagine like these dudes, like the Pharisees and the scribes who were there, I imagine they're hearing what is going on and it's not like, I imagine they're turning pretty red in the face. I'm like, what? Who is this man? Who is he to forgive sins? Only God alone can forgive sins. Like, who is he? Like, I can imagine some people outside who didn't quite make it in the house grabbing rocks. They were like, oh, we're going to get this guy. Like, it doesn't say it, but like, knowing what is going on, they've tried, or they're going to eventually try to stone Jesus at different times. Like, I imagine, like, people are like, where is my rock? Now, Tim Keller, who's a, uh, a pastor up in New York City, he actually says it like this. The scribes were right. God alone can forgive sin. They just didn't know that God was in their presence. Okay? He said it like this. And this was his like, definition of how he said it. He said, okay, there are three guys in a bar. This was his explanation. We're going to call them Luke, Isaac, and Caleb. Okay? Y'all better never go to a bar in y'all's life. No, I'm just joking. So uh, there's Luke, Isaac, and Caleb. Okay? So Luke goes up to Isaac, punches Isaac in the face. And Caleb looks at Luke and says, Luke, I forgive you. Yeah. Tim Keller says that that is kind of probably the thought process that was actually going through the scribe's mind. Like, this man did not sin against you, sir. Like, he, you have no right to forgive him. Like, it is not your, like, forgiveness that is needed. But they didn't realize that they were in the presence of God. That the Son of Man could, in fact, forgive sin. Okay? So, thank God for home field advantage. They're in Peter's house. I mean, I, I can't imagine that they had, like, freedom of speech back then. I can't. But since they're in Peter's house, it's like, ah, uh, we can't really drag this guy out in the streets right now. You know? He's not in the synagogue. You know, we can't really pull him out. Um, there's uh, would be, like, a mob scene that gone, like it's going to go on. Like, Jesus already healed so many of these people and done different things, done different miracles in their sight. If anything were to happen to this guy right now, like, it would be a mob scene. What is a mob scene? I'll, I'll teach you when we get home. Okay. So, Jesus, of course being Jesus, perceived what they were thinking, took it even a step further and said, what is easier to say that your sins are forgiven or to take up your mat and walk? Okay. Now, remember I told you earlier that Capernaum was a small village. It was about 1,500 people. Do you think that the people of the village of Capernaum knew who this dude was? 
Very likely. Do you know why? Because when I grew up, I lived in a small town called Earth, Texas. And I used to really like pull pranks on people and they would say, where are you from? And I would say, Earth. And they'd be like, hi, we are from Earth. And I'd be like, no, I really am from Earth. And they'd be like, oh, we're not from Earth, we're from Mars. And I was like, man, you're so immature. And they were like, we're immature. I'm like, yeah, I'm from Earth. Let me show you on the map. And they'd be like, oh, okay. You know, like, so... Um, there were 1,222 people in Earth, Texas. Okay? My entire graduating class, if I would have graduated there, was like 17 to 20. Okay? Now, Earth was a town where everybody knew what was going on. So if my parents got in a fight, which actually happened because they were bad with their alcohol in town, like, I would hear about it the next day of school. Like, they'd be like, hey, man, I heard your dad and your mom were, like, going at it at, like, the party yesterday. I'm like, yeah, how did you know? And like, oh, well, this person told this person, and that person told that person, and, well, that person told me. Like, the first time that I knew that my mom was actually on drugs was because somebody in my school told me. And I knew that it was small enough to be a truth statement, you know? Like, I was like, oh, that must be true. And I went and I talked to my mom. She's like, yeah, it's true. You know? So, like, they knew, like, in Capernaum, they knew this guy. They're like, hey. So whatever he did in his past, they under, they probably understood. When Jesus said, hey, your sins are forgiven, they were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That was probably another point of contention. Your, his sins weren't against you. They might have been against that person or that person. Or if you only knew what he really did, Jesus. Like, if you only knew. Okay? Like, word travels fast. They knew that he was paralytic from whenever he was paralytic. Okay? Like, they knew. Okay? So. But. And we're going to get kind of closer towards the end of how everything is going to work out. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. So those people who were automatically angry like a verse beforehand when they were about to like drag this guy out or if they could have dragged him out, they probably would have done it. They left amazed saying, we have never seen anything like this. Like when you see the hand of God, when you see like God's special touch in something, okay, there are definite times where you should be able to think, man, I have never seen anything like this. So, the Son of Man has the authority to give, forgive sins. He has the authority to heal. Now, what do we kind of take away from this? Okay. Now, what's interesting is normally I, I'm really good with being on script, so I actually typed all of it until that point. 
So what do we take from this? Okay. And my biggest takeaway, I mean, I, my hope, my biggest hope and prayer is that you realize how big and magnificent God is. And you see him at work and you follow that and you walk with that. Okay. Now, I, I hope that you know that. I hope that you see it. I hope that you are walking within it. Okay. But what I want to look at is actually the four friends in the paralytic. Okay. So, I, I'm not going to read the passage again because we've already read it at least twice in our reading. But there's a man who's paralyzed. He has some friends. And they bring him to see Jesus. Okay. So my first thing is this. A, who are you bringing to see Jesus? Who are we bringing? I don't want to just exclude myself, so I need to change that. Who are we bringing to see Jesus? Okay. Now, if we know the end game, like the end game being like Jesus won, Jesus is high and uh, seated upon his throne, if we understand the scriptures and even finish reading this story where people are saying, man, I've never seen anything like that. Are we bringing people to this Jesus? Okay. Are we? Okay. Second question. Or second thing. Okay. When you encounter disruptions or distractions, what do you do? Okay. Now, I really wanted to throw some people for a loop here, and if we would have had things like more under control when we first got here, I would have done it. When I was going to pray, I was going to start praying for all kinds of random stuff. You know, like, Lord, I thank you for this day. And Lord, please, I wonder what Kawhi is going to do next year, God. And I uh, hope... You know, that we can make it to Chick-fil-A quickly and that your will would be done, God. And that, you know, just because in our heads and in our minds, most of the time when we're talking to God, there are many distractions in the way. Like, you know, I was asking Jason earlier, how's your little vacation, Jason? He said it was great. It was a great time to unplug and unconnect and just have a time to connect with my wife. You know? And so, like, we are so wired into different things that at the end of the day, like, I, I find that myself, I have a lot of distractions to overcome to approach God. Let me just say it that way. Okay? And these are my own distractions, but what about other distractions? Like, just distractions that happen. So let's say we don't, you know, in order to approach God, and in order to approach the feet of Jesus, we don't necessarily have, like, physical, like, we, we don't see the picture of a house, and he's inside, 
and everything is kind of blockaded off. Okay. Now, maybe we should start seeing it like this. Okay, well, um, I am approaching Jesus, but I get distracted by technology. I want to approach Jesus, but I'm thinking about work. I want to approach Jesus and even take people to Jesus, but all I really have time for and I'm pouring into are my children. I want to approach Jesus, um, but I, I'm not quite sure, uh, you know, with, with my friend here, but I'm not sure what is the politically correct or culturally correct way to do things. Now, I think it's just to say, just approach Jesus. Like we went to New York City, the day that we got in New York City, we're like walking to uh, one of our favorite places in New York City, which is kind of awkward. You'd think we would just do this more often when we were here. Uh, we love to go to Central Park. We don't visit parks very often <laughs> here in San Antonio, but Central Park, there's something like magnificent about Central Park. Why? Because it's in the midi middle of a city that has like uber millions of people, and it's this huge block that spans like or park that spans, I don't know, like 70 city blocks. It's huge. Okay, now we're walking to Central Park and there's a whole bunch of people waving flags. Okay, and there's a whole bunch of flags and there's this large pride march that is going on. Now my question isn't, is that a distraction from you approaching Jesus but are you approaching Jesus with some of those people as well like are you getting out of a circle where kind of everybody kind of looks like you sounds like you looks like you to where you actually have maybe some people who are lost and need Jesus within your circle and you are approaching Jesus with them and yes, they have their stuff. And yes, you have your stuff too. You're, um, you know, they're walking in sin. Not those, like, you know, the people with the march, but just in general. Like, there are people who you're trying to take to Jesus and they're walking in sin and you get distracted by simple things. But are you still approaching Jesus with these people, knowing that if you can put these people at the feet of Jesus, that they would be healed? not only from their sin, but physically? Or are you like, well, I can't say that, and I can't do that, and I don't want to wear, you know, this because it might be offensive, and I don't want to address people that way because they may not like me. So instead, I just become paralyzed and do nothing. You know, one of the reasons why, like, there are a couple people in here when we went to the mission trip in Montreal that went, and we loved it. It was great. It was amazing. God really did some great things. Okay? But one of the reasons why we started choosing to go to Puerto Rico instead of going to Montreal is because in our post-briefing, 
of, you know, our Montreal trip. We talked. And, like, eventually it was kind of me, it was kind of Wes and the leader over there. And they were like, well, we would love for you guys to come back, but we want y'all to kind of tone it down on the gospel. And, and we kind of, like, I got, like, I, I was glad that Wes was actually taking part of it because I actually got, like, very furious. I was like, we're asking people for money, telling them that we're going on a mission trip. We're asking people for donations. We're, like, working with organizations and churches trying to raise money. And people are, like, paying their good, hard-earned money to go over there with the idea of saying this is a mission trip and you want us to go and not share the gospel? And they're like, well, yeah. We just want y'all to be different and live differently. And I was like, in fury, like, you know, I was very, very angry. And I was like, but how, how are they gonna know if they're not told? And their response was, yeah, but we don't want to ostracize people. We don't want people to feel uncomfortable. And I'm like, well, what you're really saying is that that is more valuable than taking people to Jesus. Like, you're a church. This is an organization. How are you not going out and telling people about Jesus? And they told us. They, 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 they gave us very clear, very, very clear instructions. They were like, okay, well, you're here. We want you to uh, share the gospel whenever you get the opportunity to. That, you know, they were like, if the conversation leads to sharing the gospel, we want you to do it. And so we went. And our last meeting, it was like, late at night and we were all kind of tired and grumpy and it was like well i shared the gospel with this person and i shared the gospel with this person and we shared the gospel with this family and we shared the gospel with this and it wasn't like a pat on the back to alamo stone it was really like this is how big god is and all of these conversations led to the gospel and they called us and we're like you know we want you to just tone, tone down the gospel conversation because you might upset people so, are you taking people to Jesus? What happens when there are distractions? Okay. And, last but not least, is it worth it to you? Okay. Now, what I mean by that is this. It's going to cost you something to take, to walk with somebody to Christ, okay? It's going to cost you something, okay? Like these men who walked with this paralytic guy and took him to Christ, they ripped the guy's roof apart. They ripped his house, like they tore the top, like they gave his house a sunroof. <laughs> You know, a convertible. They gave him a convertible house. I said, thank you. You know. Now, 
It doesn't say that Peter was like ticked off and like counting the cost. Like, Jesus, please. Tell those men to stop. Don't you see that dust is starting to fall in here? Word has gotten to me that there are people who are digging into my house from the roof. Like, tell them to stop. But these men were like, hey, whatever could possibly come after this, we could get thrown in jail. They can make us repay all of this. And do we have really the money or the funds to like, fix this guy's roof? Do we have the time and the energy to fix this guy's roof? But whatever the cost may have been, whatever cost they could have incurred, they still sat there and dug through a man's roof. Why? Because they knew that lowering a man to the feet of Jesus was going to be worth it. Now, if you look, there are some great stories about the feet of Jesus in Scripture. You see the lady who, you know, is weeping at his feet and cleans him with her hair and puts the perfume on him. We see the lady who is bleeding for years and she just rushes and just barely kind of gets like the tip of his robe and is healed. I mean, you see great stories. But Maybe it's because there's something miraculous that happens when people get at the feet of Jesus. So, is it worth it to you? Is it worth it to you to walk with people who are maybe a little different than you? Or us? For us? Sorry, again. Is it worth it for us to maybe hurt some feelings? I mean, the gospel was offensive. In general, it's pretty offensive. It's telling people that they missed the mark, that they're not worth it, and that they needed somebody to hit the mark for them, and that was somebody else, not themselves. And that's the only way that they can approach God is because of somebody else, because they are not quite good enough. Like, if you hear it, like, it's not necessarily like a, you know, YMCA, everybody gets a trophy kind of thing. You know? And so my heart for us as a group of people is to say, well, I think it's worth it. Now I'm going to leave you with one last thing. And it maybe it, it's going to be statistics about Boston and then... Um, Hopefully we can kind of relate it to San Antonio a little bit and then we'll kind of close down. So we went to church in Boston because wherever we are, we try to attend service because we like to be with the body of Christ. Okay? Now, uh, the church there said that Boston right now, the city of Boston has about 700,000 people. The metro area is, of course, bigger. They said by the year 2050, that they're going to have about 6 million people in Boston. Projecting. Currently, there are 3% evangelical Christians in Boston. So, you can do the math. Jason can do the math, at least. 
And he said, 3% of 700,000 people. And if nothing changes within, let's say, the next 32 years, it will be 3% of 6 million people. How great is the need to go? How great is the need to figure out that approaching Jesus by any means necessary is worth it? Now I looked up some statistics. Okay. In San Antonio, that number is closer to like 20%. But there's going to be, they say, by 2040, an additional million-plus people here in San Antonio. There's a great need, church. A great need to point people to Jesus. Now, the reason why I said we would talk about the mission team is this. They're doing it. Like they are going out and being the hands and feet of God and extending our reach as Alamo Stone. Now for the week in advance, I want you to be like the four guys to them. What does that mean? I want you to commit some time to praying for them whenever you think about it. And placing them at the feet of Jesus so that while they are at the feet of Jesus, maybe God would use them to be the hands and feet of Jesus in Puerto Rico. Okay. Now, if you don't know who they are, I have a picture. You won't be able to see it, but I'll be able to tell you who they are from it. There are... The Flynn's, so Wes, Pilar, and Gabby, and Daniel. The Cronenbergers, which are Jody and Emily and all the girls. Wanda went. Ted was going to go, but he had some blisters on his eyes that his doctor wouldn't clear him to go. And so since they had an open spot, Andres went. At the last minute, Wanda and the Salasetis. Oh, and Aaron, which is Wes and uh, Pilata's neighbor, one of Gabby's good friends. So one of the easiest ways that you can be like these four men is just to pray for the lost. Yes, we want you to eventually bring the people who you come across not to church bring them to jesus and if they eventually come to church praise god that would be awesome but one of the ways that we can be these four guys to that mission team is to pray and pray and pray for us for them every time we think of they're going to get hit by a hurt like you know or not they may get a hurricane slash tropical storm that eventually heads their way but they're going to be serving and a camp with a whole bunch of kids. They're going to be staying in 
like not necessarily the best quarters. They're not necessarily gonna have AC. The food is gonna be different. All those can kind of tend to make people grumpy and angry, but hopefully because of your prayers and because of the prayers of the people who are supporting them, maybe, how does it say it in the scripture? that all will be amazed to glorifying God saying that we have never seen anything like this. Okay. So, I love you, church. You are, you know, a gift from me and the times that we were away from you, we mourned. So, let's pray and uh, we will finish there. Okay. So, God, I thank you for today. And I pray that as uh, we move forward within our faith, that we would not necessarily worry too much about the distractions that are around us, the temptations that are around us, but that our heart would be more overwhelmed with just pointing people to you. Yes, it's good to live differently. Yes, it's good to uh, have that type of witness, God. And so I don't want to discount that, but what I'm just praying, Lord, is that as a church, may we be people who would actually extend hugs and extend handshakes more than just in our time of uh, greeting here at church. May we do it to a lost and dying world who needs you. You know, Lord, there is uh, 20% of the people who are in San Antonio claim to be evangelical Christian, God. And only you know the heart of your people, but what about the other 80%? And do we mourn for them? Do we grieve for them? Do we know them and are we bringing them to you? Because in our hearts and in our minds, we know that if they encounter you, Lord, that you will offer them salvation and you will heal them. So God, we pray that you would um, just uh, give us hearts to be like these men. Give us hearts to be like people uh, who would not only honor you with our lips, but who would um, imitate you with our lives. So God, we trust you and we thank you and we love you in Christ and we pray and ask everything. Amen. So church, thank you guys for coming out. I know uh, it's been a while, you know. I lost a couple of Devereaux kids right here in the front. I knew it was going to happen. I was like, yeah, it's going to feel just like school, you know. Um, but I'm so grateful for you. I do want to uh, enjoy a chicken sandwich with you if you're going to head that way. Um, and if you don't, man, may the Lord bless you as you go, okay? So pray for the mission team. Pray, pray, pray. And hopefully I'll send out uh, some type of update throughout the week. Check your, like, uh, your emails about what's going on over there and how we can continue to pray for them. Okay? Love you guys. See ya.